Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. You don't have to break the bank to buy quality. The Renault Selection used car event is on from the 1st until the 5th of October with special APR offers, two years warranty, and two years roadside assistance on all quality used cars. T's and C's apply. You're very welcome to Friday Afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Competition time from the outset today, and you haven't much time. I'm going to pick a winner before 2 o'clock this afternoon. Athboy Credit Union have been serving the community in Athboy for the last 50 years. And to celebrate, they've given us another €50 voucher today to give away. It's from McElhenney's for Men in Athboy. And you can stock up on the latest fashion this autumn or pick up something special for the man in your life. How do you win that voucher today? I'm going to ask you a little question here. What day of the week, apart from Sunday, is Athboy Credit Union closed? So I don't want you going there on this day. So that's the question. What day is it closed during the week, apart from Sunday, the credit union in Athboy? Answers ASAP to 086-1800-658 by text or WhatsApp and we'll pick a winner before two o'clock on the show this afternoon and the best of luck to you. Now you do know how I love my food, especially pasta, rice and other carbohydrates, but nothing will ever top potatoes in my book. I grow them, buy them when my garden supply is gone and I love to eat them in so many different ways. So today being National Potato Day, we're going to focus on the spud in the company of a family business which has potatoes at its heart. Jenny Mead is its marketing communications manager and Conor O'Malley is the farm manager at Mead Potatoes in Lobenstown. And you're both very welcome to the show. Good to see you both. Hey, Jerry. Thanks Hi, for joining me. And there's spuds in the studio. We're going to get on to that in a minute. Jenny, big, big day for Mead Potatoes. But we need to roll the clock back to last Sunday because you had your big fun day last Sunday. We did. We, had, uh, we couldn't wait for National Potato Day. We were so excited to promote the potato. So we staged our um, uh, Mead Farm Family Fun Day and National Potato Day 5K last Sunday. It was brilliant. We had over 1,500 people. It was a fundraiser and we combined, in the past we've done 5Ks and we've done Family Fun Days. We combined the two of them. It worked brilliant. We educated people about potatoes. They had potatoes in every variety. There was potato games and lots and lots of other fun things and it was all for a good cause. It was a fundraiser so it was brilliant. You been terrific with this each year. You've raised a lot of money for charity. Yeah, we do. We find that it's um, it's a brilliant way to combine a lot of things that we like to do, which is, you know, help the community, work with the community, raise the profile of potatoes, and you can do it all in one go and give everybody a really good day out. So it's it's been brilliant. It's been great. And everybody's been cooking spuds ever since that was at the day, and the children are at the parents, and the potato is back centre in the Irish table. Conor O'Malley, farm manager, welcome to the show. Good to see 
see you again uh, this year. How has the growing year been for potatoes? Uh, well, I suppose uh, with any aspect of farming, Jerry, uh, you're an absolute slave to the weather. And this year, the growing season's been pretty good. It's probably unusual for a farmer to come in and say the weather's been okay. But, uh, <laughs> I think I have a temperature. Hold on a minute. <laughs> so far, so good. Now, look at the, the rain in the last couple of weeks has, uh, has halted our gallop a wee bit into... into from digging into store but please God now things will clear up maybe after this weekend uh, but yeah I suppose compared to last year especially where we had uh, huge drought pressure uh, crops under a lot of stress for a lot of the year uh, this has been a very different growing season uh, last year probably a lot of our issues was maybe towards the end getting uh, getting potatoes into a big enough size to hit our market spec and this year is probably the opposite we're probably struggling to keep them undersized to hit the market spec so for, for anyone who doesn't like too much peeling there'll be plenty of, uh, of bigger potatoes <laughs> this year in, in their packs good to which hear it so the crop, crops are good and, and the size of potato is, crops is good, good as quality well. is excellent ok yeah. <laughs> At this time of year, you know, you've lifted the earlier ones and you're into main yeah. crops, I take it, at this yeah, stage. Yeah. How long will you continue lifting for? And then do you store? That will depend on the weather, Jerry. Uh, like, yeah, we're ready to lift into store now. Some growers will have just started lifting into store probably in the last week or so. Uh, really, whenever we get the windows in weather now, it will be all systems go harvesting into store. So if the weather is with us, it will take us a month to six weeks. If the weather's against us, it could take a little bit longer. Do you know the way years ago farmers would leave spuds in the ground over the Christmas and into the New Year? Is that a thing of the past or does it still happen? It can happen on the odd occasion, but you'd prefer not to. You'd prefer to get the spuds into store where there's less chance of maybe getting frost damage if there's any heavy frost or anything like that. We like to get them in, get them dug before fields get too wet uh, and into temperature control stores where we can kind of control the quality of the potato from there on in. Now, there's bags of Maris Pipers. You can get the sound effect here sitting beside me on the table. The Piper's a lovely potato, isn't it? They're a great potato. I love them myself, I have to say. Yeah, yeah, they're a good... Good, good spud for doing doing anything with really yeah. from mashing to roasting to yeah, yeah. they're all rounders. They are, they are, besides, and a good yielding potato. Yeah, well. they are. Well, besides the 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 Maris Piper, what else? What's what predominates? Rooster, uh, I take rooster. It? Yeah, rooster would probably be, be almost seventy percent of what we grow. We grow on the whites. Then we grow Piper uh, Maritima. We'd be growing Queens early in the season. We would have been uh, harvesting Queens from the first week of July this year. Uh, yeah, Maritima, and then on the processing end, uh, Marquis Miranda as well, uh, and also Cultra. Cultra would be uh, a variety that goes pretty well for us too. And you, yeah. that's a new one on me, is that? Uh, a, I would have been around a good number it? of years. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Good yielder as well. Good strong yielder, the Cultra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Wouldn't be high tuber numbers, so tends to go to a good size of potato. Again, one for those who don't don't like the peeling too much. Yeah. <laughs> but for your chips, Jenny, I, I, we hear the bag as I hold them there. Now, there's big news for meat potato on the bags that these potatoes are in. Tell us about it. So yeah, the the. This bag is actually, uh, it's fairly groundbreaking in the potato industry in that um, uh, it replaces the normal plastic bag. So uh, whereas um, the paper bags, the traditional paper bags that you would see, um, you know, those obviously are, are not plastic and they're good for the environment, but they're not as efficient to pack as the plastic ones. So we've developed this 100% compostable bag uh, that we can pack efficiently. And it means that it's a really uh, efficient way for, um, for growing 
growers uh, and packers to uh, to to eliminate plastic. So, and we're the first people to bring it to market. So we're really excited about it. We want hopefully everyone to get behind us and and uh, pick up some. They're in uh, selected Lidl stores, uh, and yeah, you're doing your bit for the environment. They're I can they're actually they're they're made from uh, from paper, and then they've got a cornstarch uh, coating on the paper and cornstarch based netting and ink, uh, water soluble ink. So they're absolutely natural and absolutely compostable. So I can put these into my compost bin when I've consumed the beautiful pipers. That's right, into your brown bin. They're perfect. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Now this is only one string to your bow when it comes to being environmentally aware. Tell me what gleaning is. So gleaning it has been around since biblical times. It's actually mentioned in the Bible, and it's where you go after the harvest and you pick up what's left in the field. And it has always traditionally been kind of viewed as something that you do to help the needy. Uh, so there's gleaning. We're, we're working with Food Cloud on a gleaning network of trying to, to bring this practice of gleaning in an organized way to Ireland and getting growers and volunteers to work together to pick up the crops that are left over in the field uh, after the harvest and give them to people in need, uh, to food charities. I love it. You know, Connor, back to you on this, because you're involved, of course, in, in every aspect of the growing, the harvesting we're talking about a moment ago. Is there much left? Well, I try to keep that to a minimum if possible, Jerry. But yeah, you'll always find a few. You look, you might find a few undersized ones that will fall through the webs of the harvester, or maybe at the ends of the drills where the harvester is starting and finishing, you might find a few that will fall out there. And gleaning is actually something that uh, you would often see. Maybe if you're digging spuds in a field, the neighbours will come in, and any any loose potatoes at the end of the headlands, they might come and pick up. So I suppose this is really just putting a bit more structure to that and uh, and yeah. helping people who 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 can do it. There. That's right. Yeah, we've uh, Food Cutter are piloting it and we're their partners in it. And we've worked with our retail partners, Lidl, uh, in some of the initial gleaning uh, days that we did. Now Food Cloud is working with the AIB um, volunteer force. Uh, and I have to say, it is an absolutely brilliant way to team build. Uh, anytime we've done gleaning, whether it be with Lidl, AIB, the schools that we've had some schools come in, it's been brilliant for just, you know, getting people to get to know each other. You're doing something that's good for you know for for um, food charities and it's just been a win-win on every single front the food cloud concept is marvelous and i remember when it came into ireland actually early doors they were here with us on the show and really it's gone from strength to strength ever since and it's wonderful i, I absolutely love the concept i have to say from your perspective as well being a gardener as you know and grown a few as i mentioned in the introduction it's a devil when you leave a spud or two in the ground if you're sowing something the next year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, from that point of view, the gleaning is also an advantage. Yeah, that there's less volunteers left in the field uh, to come up in the, in the following year's crops. You're, is you're that what you right call there, them? Jerry. Volunteers? Volunteer potatoes, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And they can come up for years afterwards, they maybe sure three, four, can. five years after you would have planted Yeah, because potatoes. if you leave one, they may have a few little ones themselves and you think you got it and next they're there as well. So I must remember that now. I have a new name for them in my little veggie patch, volunteers. Go get the volunteers. Um, just on on the uh, the potato as well. You mentioned size and crop. What about the value in the market? The price of potatoes. How is it at the moment? We heard a lot about this in previous years. You know that farmers weren't happy. Yeah, well, I think the last two to three years, I think I think the farmers would have been pretty satisfied with, mm. with the price they would have been getting. Uh, I suppose this year yields are going to be that little bit higher. Prices are probably going to stabilise, but. Uh, 
potatoes tend to be a real supply and demand uh, product. If if the supply is very high, the the price tends to drop a little. But I think this year there should be a decent bit of stability in the market. Yield is strong, quality is good, but yields aren't aren't off the off the charts. Like you know, it's yes. just it's just a good steady year. So please, God, prices will will reflect that for the coming season. Good stuff. Jenny, this uh, EU publication that Meads have been included in, what's that about? You're you're getting kudos out in Europe. Yeah, yeah, we were thrilled. Uh, We were asked... um to uh, to submit our story for it, it was uh, launched on Tuesday, and there's uh, there's a video actually on the EU Commission in Ireland um, uh, page there with us in it, and it's actually just a it's a collection of it's called What's the Story, and it's 25 stories of Ireland in the EU. We're featured in it because our sustainability, um, because we're a leader in the field in terms of zero food waste and what we've done around gleaning and you know initiatives like this with our 100% compostable bag. Um, they decided to uh, include us in it. And and um, yeah, it's a real. Um, it's it, it, we're, we're thrilled, and it, I think as well we were considered to be best practice um, in terms of on-farm crop loss. We had a visit by the European Commission last year. They came an agri-focus group, and they kind of took learnings, and we spoke with them and exchanged ideas, and they put it together into a research paper. So you know, there's a few different things we've done on the sustainability front that uh, merited our inclusion in it, and we're we're thrilled. Uh, there must be a little room left in the awards cabinet in, in Lobenstown because here you are again this year, Energia Family Food Business of the Year in, in May. Congratulations on that. And you've recently been shortlisted for your chips and roosters in the Irish Quality Food Awards. When, when is that announced? That's on October 24th. So fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah, we're down there for our chips and for our... Um, uh, for the deluxe roosters that are uh, that are sold in Lidl stores, so hopefully we'll uh, we'll we'll come home with some some gold medals, more medals, more yeah. trophies. And then next year, hopefully, we'll win it for <laughs> our our white potatoes, yes, uh, and our compostable bag. Absolutely, well done to you. You really are trail uh, blazers. Let's to get serious here for a minute, Spud. The Spud. I said I love potatoes. No matter what other cuisine I taste or when I travel around the world, Connor, I still come back to the potato. And can I let you into a little? secret you know the autumn time of the year i had a lovely homemade soup the other day and i made colcannon the evening before and i had some over and i brought it in heated it up and the soup poured over it is there anything more comforting in the world than a potato than a potato <laughs> i don't think so no well i'm biased yeah well so am i in a way i have to say but that combination it's just a something after the summer of salads you yeah. know and the lighter stuff when you come back to it oh man isn't it fantastic yeah well look at it's always noticeable as well when the temperature drops a bit this time of year consumption of potatoes and sales of potatoes tend to rise so uh mm. yeah whereas we love to we love to see the, the weather staying good it, it has its advantages for us when when the temperature drops and the weather changes when a little. it gets cool yeah. a bit i think yeah, i asked you this before Jenny I take it you love the potato as well she couldn't love but yeah. what's your favourite way to prepare and eat a, a potato is there one or is there a couple do you know what I have done lately and uh, I don't know I, I it's been for the last I don't know about five months I just come home and I grab uh, some of the Maris Pipers out of these uh, 2kg white potatoes that we have wrap them in tin foil and put them in the oven and bake them and my kids just love them because then they can you know one of them might peel off the skin the other might eat with, with skin they put whatever they want on them and it gives them good solid nutrition sticks to the bones and it's really really easy to do it might take you know 
take 40 minutes to cook them but it's so low maintenance just to throw them in it's, it's in brilliant. a parcel it's in it's the, parcel, the foil is as the only thing intended. absolutely Connor come on for you ok well sure look I'll go for a bit more of a decadent one uh, Jerry seen as we're coming in towards the weekend and uh uh, a good Sunday dinner isn't isn't a proper Sunday dinner without at least two or three different types of potato on it. So I'll go for uh, garlic and cheese potatoes on a on a Sunday. If oh. you get the likes of your Maris Piper here and uh, slice them up thinly, parboil them, and uh, throw them into a, a baking tin with maybe some garlic uh, and a bit of cheese over that, and let that let that bubble away for forty or fifty minutes. Man, I'm drooling here <laughs> just even thinking about it. But you said something there, three different. You know, with a Sunday dinner, bit of mash, yeah, a, bit a of roast, mash, you your roast, and and yours there. And Wouldn't that be a lovely combination? Goods. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I, I have to say, I adore roast potatoes uh, uh, and uh, parboil don't do them too yeah. much mm. uh, a bit of goose or duck fat yeah. on them into the oven and turn them and get them in a hot really really crispy you know that crunch Absolutely. when you yeah. when you break into them oh. yeah. the pipers seem to work really well for the roasting yeah, as well when you great. parboil them they still the, the yeah. skin will go a little but they still hold their structure really well and yeah they're, they're great for roasting then afterwards we actually used them at the fun day um, well we were giving away um, baked potatoes but we uh, used these Maris Vipers from the white potato um, compostable bag there for spiralising them and then frying them and the kids loved them and adults chipped mashed boiled roast sauté baked fried you name it invent it yourself it's all to be done with our famous uh, meat potatoes just before we finish today, you mentioned, yes, they are available through Lidl and where else? Uh, at the moment, they're, they're just in, they're only in Lidl, but watch this space. They're going to be elsewhere. OK, watch this space. Mead potatoes going from strength to strength. Happy and could I just National give a shout out? Day. Could I just give a shout out to all the Irish carrots and Irish onions just started in Little this week as well, also grown by Meads here. So. They're yours as well. Fantastic. Oh, listen, it's all good news in Lobenstown in County Mead. Thank you for dropping in for the annual visit. I wouldn't miss it for the world. I just love them. I Thank see it again. Thank you for having us. Not at all. Jenny Mead and Connor O'Malley. Keep on digging, keep on planting, keep on growing and we'll keep on eating. Thank you so much. Thanks, Eric. Thanks. At Boy Credit Union competition, a 50 euro voucher today for Meckel Hennies for men in At Boy is going to Patrick Maguire from Heronstown, Lobenstown. Well done to you. Yes, the Credit Union in At Boy does not open on a Wednesday. Wednesday we were looking for. Thank you to everybody who got in touch with us for that one there. Louise, what way do you love your spuds? Creamed with loads of butter and salt. <laughs> it has to be like the, you know, dripping with butter. Oh, you just can't beat it. And, you know, butter and potatoes, they go hand in glove, don't do they? The volcano. Put the potatoes in the shape of a volcano with a little welt in the top of it and put the butter in there. And it looks like when you. <laughs> Lovely for kids. Kids love it. I love it. <laughs> that woman, she's ready to explode any minute. Volcano <laughs> potatoes. Hey, here's another one I just spotted. Golden discs. You know that we bemoan the loss of record stores in the, like no- a in the north. In the north, a golden disc. <laughs> uh, but it is the record shop. And you know, we were saying we were left Dundalk. Yes, uh, the, the one there. Uh, now, when I think reopened, did it? The did golden discs doing really well. The back and draw the golden discs in Scotch Hall Shopping Centre. They're opening tomorrow, Saturday, and they've a rake of offers. 
shoppers for their opening day. Uh, they were in Drogheda Town Centre. They closed a number of years ago. But there's a revival. There really is a revival. Congratulations to them and we wish yeah. them well and we'll be Everybody talking to them shortly. Oh, yes, absolutely. Potatoes are the ones that play mm-hmm. music as well. You know, we love both. Anyway, let's head towards news and weather at two o'clock and do stay with us. Amy Doodlewall with us after two o'clock. What a heartbreaking story you're going to hear. Let's go back to a day that my next guest on Late Lunch this afternoon will never, ever forget. March the 15th, 2017 and her husband has her young daughter Estlin in the car she's back home and her world is torn apart instantly Amy Doodlewall is on the line with me on late lunch this afternoon Amy you're very welcome to the show thank you thanks for having me go back to that date in March just over two years ago two and a half years ago just tell us what was happening or where your husband was or what was happening in your life on that day yeah, so it was, you know, a, a, a typical Wednesday. Um, I had been kind of having a lie-in, so I'd only had our second son, our second child, Mannix, just 10 weeks prior to the crash, so he was still newborn baby. Um, so I, I kind of had a bit of a lie-in that morning, and um, my husband got Ethlyn ready for a crash and brought the baby back up to me, and off they went Um and about an hour later, uh, after I had gotten up and gone downstairs, there was a knock on the door, and it was um, my husband's friend's mother. And you know, you kind of never forget that that moment when you go back of sort of the confusion. You know, oh, why is this person here? They never call over to my house. And you know, she said there's there's been an accident. So I invited her in, and we sat down on the couch, and 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 she said, um, can I hold the baby? And that that's kind of when when it hit me. Oh, something something really bad has has happened here. So, she explained that you know, um, Vinny and Eslin had been in in a collision on the way to crash, and as far as they knew, they were stable and they were being transported to um, University of Limerick Hospital. Uh, so, my friend came over and collected me and Mannix and and drove us there. And, you know, we were kind of chatting on the way and talking about our kids and silly things they do. And I'll never forget kind of getting to sort of that last roundabout before turning into the hospital and thinking, actually, my whole life could change now here in a moment. And just that realization that things could be a lot worse than you think they might be. And that that's sure enough exactly what it was. We we got in and they had done uh, scans on both Vinny and Eslin, and I was told that they both had had significant brain injuries, and unfortunately, due to Eslin's age, just as a, you know how young she was, the impact was so severe that you know her neck snapped instantly. And um, you know, I should have been getting a call or being told that that she had died there at the crash, um, but. There was an amazing doctor that showed up. It happened to be my husband's GP was one of the first people on the scene. And he did CPR on Eslin for about 40 minutes before paramedics gave her um, a shot of adrenaline. And that got her heart rate back. So without that, you know, we would have never had the opportunity to do organ donation. We wouldn't have had that time in Temple Street saying our goodbyes to her. Um, So, you know, I'm incredibly grateful for the work that um, that GP did and, and the paramedics when they, when they showed up. Um, so, so once we were in Limerick and we were told, you know, that there wasn't really any hope for Eslin, but that she needed to be transferred to Temple Street Children's Hospital in Dublin because, 
they have the ICU services there. So, um, yeah, she was transferred again by air ambulance and my friend drove us there. And once we arrived, that's when they sat us down and said, yes, definitely, you know, there, this is the fatal injury. You know, Eslin will not wake up from this. Um, but in these circumstances, we have the option of organ donation if you want to think about that. Um, and I said, yes. Yes, as in yes, let's do it. Not, you know, yes, I'll think about it. It just kind of came out right away. Yes, yes, let's well, let's do that. And that sort of became the focus of the next few days. Now, you had to make that decision on your own because your husband, Vincent, was in a serious condition and he was in no state to make any call on this at all. Was that even more difficult, that you were alone? Definitely, yes. He had been in, put into an induced coma due to his own brain injury, you know, there was absolutely no consultation that could have been had with him. And I, I was very lucky that um, my husband's brothers live in Dublin. So as soon as I arrived to Temple Street, they were there. They had actually already arrived before me. And they came in into the room with me to sit down with the doctors and nurses. And I remember holding each of their hands and, and sitting there and getting, you know, the full explanation of Ashland's injuries and and so kind of right away I did have family there to to sort of back me up on you know is this a good choice to make and I think everyone was everyone agreed like that you know there's no reason to not do organ donation so um you know I I was alone and that Ashland's other parent was not there to make that choice but I did have support from from other family that that were agreeing that yes it was the right thing to do. The machines kept little Eslin alive for three days, so you were able to be with her, and I know family came as well. Was there any consolation in, in that for you? Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, my, my family are all in America, uh, and, and I have a sister in Canada also. So they all kind of flew over at, at different times and arrived at different times. And, um, you know, they were all meeting my son for the first time also, which was incredibly strange, like meeting this new member of our family in a children's ICU. You know, being able to have that time, like, to just sit with Eslin and, and kind of, you know, stare at her little eyelashes and play with her hair. And, you know, I had friends show up and stay stay with me the entire time I was in Temple Street, three of my friends. And, you know, they did a lot of things for me in terms of helping with Mannix and sitting with Eslin so that I could I could rest. And I know they'd sing to her and, and you know, people were reading stories to her and the, the nurses and doctors were just incredible. They, they loved to sit there and, and hear stories about Eslin. And they always, you know, referred to her directly um, when starting a, any sort of procedure. You know, they'd ask her permission first, which I... It just caught me as so important that they still treated her as like a real live person, even though we knew, you know, she wasn't really there anymore. Um, and, and that whole experience, you know, it's it's sort of in a way it was an unexpected accident. We weren't prepared for it, but we did get this three day period that kind of gently eased us into this after of you know life of having lost a child. She was laid to rest, and I, I, I see you quoted about that time and the impact it had on you. I can only imagine for any parent what it's like to be predeceased by your child, and especially such a small child as well. How yeah. do you deal with that, Amy, yourself and Vincent every day? Well, um, I think in the beginning you have to be really selfish. That's something I learned 
Uh, you have to say no to people if you're not up for something. You have to take time for yourself. I was very lucky that my friends were really willing to step up and help me in any way possible. So, you know, if I if I needed time alone, I would just call someone up and say, can you please come take Mannix? You know, because Vinny was in, in hospital for, for three whole months before he was home. So I had a very long, you know, looking back, what felt like a very long period of time at home alone. Um, and it was like, it would just overwhelm me sometimes. And I just needed, needed time to myself. So that, that was a very important part of that initial period of grief is, is to just be in it, to just sit in the dark, to just sob, to just lose your mind, you know, and, and, and basically want to go jump in that grave. Also, I think that's any parent who's lost a child could attest to that, that feeling that that's, you know, you just want to be where they are, wherever that might be. You want to be with them, and you know it's it's very difficult to get through those first few months and and even years. Like even you know two and a half years later, there are still some incredibly dark days where you know that's you just want the pain of it to end. You 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 know there's no words to describe how painful it is to to miss a child and know you're you're never going to see them again. You know you're never going to watch them grow up. You had a little boy, Mannix, you mentioned there. He was yeah. newly born when this awful tragedy yeah. darkened your door. When, when Vincent got home eventually, and I want to tell listeners, you are his full-time carer now. Vinny is very independent. You know, he's he's actually out right now for a walk with our son, and he does that all the time. They go swimming together. They're just two little buds. Um, and he's, you know, he's well able to kind of take care of himself but he cannot work he's unable to drive I would have to take him to any kind of appointments or checkups we are kind of stuck in in that limbo of not knowing when either of us or if either of us will be able to go back to work um so you know there there is a lot in that but but Vinny has recovered immensely well for the initial injury that he had um, but he still suffers in many ways. You know, we both deal with incredible anxiety in, in public. Um, he, his social life has definitely fallen off, you know, since, since the, the crash. Um, and, you know, he has a really hard time multitasking memory issues is a big one. And it took him a very, very long time to be able to kind of emotionally express anything really around what happened, you know, that would have been one of the big sort of parts of the injury was that he just, he, he couldn't cry. He couldn't really express any emotion about it. Um, so, you know, it's not, when you think of a brain injury, you kind of think of someone in a, in a wheelchair sort of un, unable to communicate. And he's definitely not, you know, he's significantly better than that, but it affects him in so many other more subtle ways. I just want to step back here a little, if I may, Amy. Mm. When Vincent came out of the coma, did he realise, you know, what had happened to Estlin? And how did you break that to him? Vinny would have been in the coma for just over a week. It would have been a long time after that before he was actually communicating in any way. Um, and even then, once he started communicating, it was pretty much gibberish. He wasn't making any sense. And, um, you know, you couldn't actually have any proper conversation with him. So he, he would have been initially in Limerick Hospital. Then he was transferred to Beaumont. Then back to the um, high dependency unit in Limerick. And from there, he got a place in the National Rehab Hospital so it would have been a short while before he, he went to the NRH that um, he finally started really asking questions. You know, basically, he woke up in a hospital 
and no one had told him why he was there. And he he started, you know, saying, oh, did I fall off my bike or did someone knock me down really bad at soccer? And he was really trying to figure out why he was there. And, and that's when the doctor said, OK, you know, now might be the time that that is best to, to explain. And um, I'll never forget, actually, it was Easter Sunday. We'd gone in for a visit and he was chatting away saying, I, I just worry that maybe something happened when I was in the car and Eslin was with me. And he was in a general ward at that point. And I remember just absolutely panicking. Like, I can't tell him what's happened, that his child has actually died, and, and then say goodbye at night and, and leave him here, surrounded by other people recovering from surgeries and whatnot. So we kind of had this mad panic to try and get him a private room. And and we were able to do that. And then sort of a couple of days later, we came back and myself and his siblings and his parents, we, we sat down with him and and I just, I explained it to him and said that, um, yeah, there was a day he was taking Eslin to crash and there was a collision. And unfortunately, she died from her injuries and he has been left also very injured. And um, I remember him saying, wow, that's rough. That was kind of his initial reaction. And, um, it, you know, it, that was five weeks after Eslin had passed away. So it was um, an incredibly difficult period to be going in and visiting him in hospital and not be able to tell him, not even be able to kind of mention anything about Mannix or anything because I didn't want him asking questions about the children. And um, that that was almost harder, really, than like the funeral, sort of lying to his his face um, until we were able to tell him. And, you know, it took it took a long time for him to really be able to take in what, what had happened. And I'd say only in the last year, really, has he kind of properly started grieving. You mentioned that they're out for a walk as we speak at the moment, the two of them mm. together and they're real buddies. Yeah. Are you worried when they leave the house? Oh, my God. I'm I'm constantly worried. I'm worried when they're in the house and Mannix tries to, you know, go up the stairs or something like the... The anxiety is never ending when you've lost a child. And, um, you know, I've, I've been in some incredible support groups um, that have made such a massive difference for me. But in those support groups, you learn of all these different ways that people have lost children. And, you know, it can be really overwhelming to, to have all of those constant concerns and worries. And I think any, any good parent worries about, you know, the well-being of their child. But once you've lost one, like that, that fear is just overwhelming, really, that, that something could happen at, at any point. And that's something I definitely suffer with since the, the crash that, you know, the slightest sort of um, change, if they were supposed to be home at one point, they're five minutes late or something, you know, I'm immediately worst case scenario. Um, I get massive anxiety going on long drives that something's going to happen to me and I, I won't get back home to them. Um, so it's, you know, it's a really difficult part of of child loss if you have surviving children that, you know, it could happen again. And it does. You know, I've, I've met parents who have lost more than one child in different ways. And it's it's horrific. Um, but, you know, it, it can't stop us from trying to give him Mannix, you know, the best life possible. And and that's really what what we're still trying to do every day, you know, is is just bring happiness to his life. Let's go back to Estlin, and she was only nine days away from her fourth birthday when she passed away following this tragic accident. For a little girl, almost four, she has given life. 
Tell me about that, what you know of the organ donation and who it's helped. Yeah, so her lungs went to um, a little boy who has cystic fibrosis. And from from the sounds of it, I think he, he suffered quite horribly with that from birth. Um, and then her kidneys actually went to a 60-year-old man who had been on dialysis for years and years. Um, so, you know, we were all quite surprised once we'd heard that, that, you know, I, I had no idea that um, a child's organs could go to an adult. Um, so, you know, that, that was such an interesting thing to hear. Um, so there weren't any matches in Ireland. They're both in the UK. And because of her, because she was in cardiac arrest for so long, her heart wasn't suitable for donation. Um, so, it, you know, it was just the lungs and kidneys. You, you do know who the recipients are because they have been in touch with you. Yeah, so we don't know names. And we've, you know, we first received a letter from the older gentleman. We received that, I believe, in October of 2017, which just came as such a surprise, you know, to already to have had him reach out to us so quickly after the the transplant surgery. It was just the most beautiful letter. He spoke of how he'd been a writer in film and television in the UK and that this was the most important thing he had ever written in his life, this thank you letter. And that just, I just remembered an overwhelming feeling of, of pride and, and, and gratitude that he, you know, he, he was able to express that to us and, and that, you know, he felt that way because of my little girl. Um, and, and we also received a letter from the little boy's mother and that one also was very beautiful. And you could tell that it must've been quite difficult for her to have spent all of these years kind of hoping for a miracle for her child, knowing that that miracle means the loss of someone else's child. Um, so to thank someone for that, you know, that must be an incredibly difficult position to, to be in, to be able to kind of find find those words, you know, but she, she was able to do that quite well. And, you know, we were just incredibly touched by by both of those letters. I just want to finish today by saying to you that you're one of the most remarkable women I've ever had the privilege to interview on my show Late Lunch. You're very kind. Thank you. No, I'm not kind. I'm absolutely just so touched by your story as I sit here today listening to you. And you are so strong and you're so wonderful for that man that is your husband, for your little boy Mannix as well, and especially for your daughter Eslin, Mm -hmm. who is going on living through others today. Yeah. She is, yeah. She's our little superhero. I wish you well. I wish you uh, happiness in the future and I wish you the ability and your husband and your little boy to cope with something that nobody should have to deal with ever in their lives. Amy Doodlewall, thank you so much from my heart. No problem. Thank you very much for letting me share Eslin's story. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. You don't have to break the bank to buy quality. The Renault Selection used car event is on from the 1st until the 5th of October with special APR offers, two years warranty and two years roadside assistance on all quality used cars. T's and C's apply. East Coast Cookery School, we're back with Tara Walker, Flavours of the Boyne Valley and this month it's Colin Murray and his olive 
pork and what an array of produce Colin has brought today. Absolutely fantastic. Um, I actually discovered Colin's produce myself, I think it was at the beginning of the year or maybe at the end of last year, and I just thought it was fantastic. We were actually using it in our Christmas classes last year. Really, really fabulous. So delighted to have him here today and his product as well, obviously. So we're going to do a nice little um, fillet of pork, Italian style. We're going to make it up, roll it up and roast it. And we're going to add a nice little marsala gravy with that, little jus. Then we're going to do a very hearty sort of midweek meal of a sausage and bean casserole. And then we're going to just taste separately the beautiful pork chops and some more sausages and bacon that Colin has brought with them. So we have the lovely fillet of pork here. Yeah, and we've just trimmed it down of any excess fat. It's only going to be cooked for a short enough time, um, hot and fast, because obviously it's not a sort of fatty, it's the opposite to having a shoulder of pork. It's a hot and fast cut. And I think it's actually a great one for you maybe those Sundays um, when you want to do a roast, but you're in a bit of a hurry, you don't have hours available. It's also a lovely little dinner party dish as well. So the first thing I'm doing here, I've just toasted some fennel seeds on a dry pan and I'm just grinding them down. I don't need them really really finely and um, just grinding them down a little bit and you see jerry i have a plate here and i'm going to pop the fennel seeds kind of in a line along the plate because what i'm going to do is i'm going to sit the pork into it and roll it around in this so i have a few nice aromatics to go on here so i have my um fennel seed there i have a little bit of garlic just chopped i have some rosemary and thyme from the garden again you could play around with these if you only had dried herbs would be fine as well let's put those there generous enough with this now i'm going to just roll the pork in it a line of herbs i haven't seen that before and they're in a very straight line and she has the pork here ready to sit on top of them yeah, away you look go at the color of that oh, pork. it's beautiful it beautiful like if you compare to what you buy you know from mass-produced places it's just totally different it's a different animal altogether so i'm going to just roll it around in this nice little mixture of herbs and so I'll stick into it quite easily. Exactly. And over in the pan, I'm going to put a little bit of butter and a little bit of rapeseed oil. And now you could just put this directly into the oven just like this if you don't want to sear it off. But I'm going to do it just because it saves a little bit of time. And I'm just going to get it onto a good hot pan till we hear a sizzle. And excuse me while I wash my hands. Yes, you can hear that on the pan there, the butter and rapeseed oil. Yeah, so the butter for the flavour, the rapeseed oil for the high burning point. And you can see the butter is just foaming away nicely. So we sit the pork into it. Let it sear in all those nice juices. Give a little bit of caramelization to that lovely coating on the outside. We'll turn it over in a sec. Turn it over so that each side gets coated and then into a good hot oven for about 15 to 20 minutes. This is a fairly small piece I have here. If you have a really big thick piece, you might want to go with half an hour to 40 minutes. Very important to let it rest then afterwards. That didn't take too long. Exactly. I had my pan really, really hot before we started. That's important. Really, really good hot pan. I know I talk about it all the time on the show, but the sizzle is important because that seals in all of the juices and gives us a nice caramelization. So I've just, co- I've just kind of made sure every side of the pork has um, been exposed to the hot pan. And I'm going to pop it into a hot oven here, 200 degrees. And we'll come back to that shortly. In the meantime, I'm going to let my pan cool a little bit, a tiny little bit more rapeseed oil, and I'm going to start popping a little bit of garlic and shallot in there and I'm going to let those soften down a little bit in the juices that have been released from the pork in the pan. So as always a little pinch of salt to protect them from burning. You like the combination of the rapeseed and the butter? In a dish like this you know I mean I wouldn't if I was doing other flavours or lighter flavours but this is quite a nice hearty you know we're coming into autumn now it's a nice dish for this time of the year and for the winter as well so I like a bit of both for that yeah. So next up then I have my garlic, give that a little stir through as well, a little bit of tomato puree going in, 
Again, as always, cooking the tomato puree on the pan, letting it get a little bit of caramelization on it, not adding it into liquid, because obviously when you just add it into liquid, it can be a little bit bitter. So we're just getting all those lovely flavors together. Stir that through. This is such a little simple sauce. It's very kind of, you know, it's, this is an Italian style dish, but actually it's really French in its kind of technique, you know, uh, with a bit of tomato puree and all those lovely little bits of sort of caramelization there at the bottom of the pan. And I'm just going to deglaze the pan with a little bit of marsala, sherry, whatever you have. A little bit of, even a dessert wine would be nice for this. Like you're only talking about a little glug. Can you smell that in the air now? Yum. I certainly can. And give that a stir. We're going to let that absolutely just evaporate for a second. And then I'm going to add a little bit of stock in. When the pork comes out of the oven, there should be some little juices. I purposely, by the way, put it on an oven proof kind of plate. So it'll catch all the juices. And then we'll pour those in. A little bit of stock here, just a little bit of chicken stock. And we're just going to let that sit and simmer for about 20 minutes while the uh, pork is in the oven and while it's resting. So that'll really reduce. Absolutely, yeah. So while we're waiting for that then, I'm going to move over here onto my little side dish. So this is quite a rich dish and I think it would be nice um, just to have something kind of a little bit bitter, slightly tart to go against the, um, the richness of the dish. So I have some green beans that we've just blanched here. And I'm going to just throw them on the pan and I'm going to toss them with a little bit of lemon juice, a little bit of garlic. Um, You could use bacon actually as well, just to compliment. But I'm kind of trying to keep this a little bit lighter and a little bit of butter. A little squeeze of lemon juice and a pinch of salt as well. There we go. And you see the green beans, they're lovely and green. Patricia here, who's working with us today, just popped them into some very, very hot boiling water. I mean, a really rolling boil with a pinch of salt in the water. That keeps that lovely green colour. And then as soon as they're softened a little bit, she cooled them down straight away in plenty of cold water. The lemon and green bean, a nice combination. I think so. And I think against the richness of the rest of the dish it'll just really cut through it okay so we leave our green beans there the pork fillet is in the oven the jus is reducing and we'll be back to finish off that dish shortly and for dish number two tara we have a lovely little sausage and bean stew and a great one for sort of midweek meals make a big big batch of it you could bring it into work with you uh, if you work in an office and you have access to a microwave um, you know you could sit at the desk having it it's a really nice dish um, because very hearty my own family we always had a variation of this on a Monday or Tuesday night in the winter um, and then you can have leftovers again the next day I have a casserole dish here heating Um, on a fairly good heat and I have a little bit of rapeseed oil and I'm just going to put some sausages into the oil and let them brown off a little bit and a little bit like we did with the whole piece of pork we just make sure they get coloured on each side and we'll come back to them in a moment then sausages coming in on really nicely in the pan yeah I mean look they're nice and coloured on the outside but they wouldn't be cooked right through to the centre but we were going to cook them in the stew in a moment so let's We've done our job now, get a nice bit of caramelisation going both on the sausages and on the base of the pan where all that lovely flavour is going to come up into the casserole or stew. And I'm going to turn my pan down a bit and I'm going to add my onions and a little pinch of salt as always and we're going to just caramelise those for a minute or two. Onions at the ready? Absolutely, so you can see they're just softening down there. Now, and like as I say on the show all the time, the longer you can give onions like this, the better because they caramelize down they soften down and they give great flavor to your dish so when your onions are almost done you can add your garlic in just cook that through for a moment or two let that caramelize so look at all the lovely kind of caramelized bits at the bottom of the pan that the sausages have given off that's why it was important to do that 
Then we have our rosemary, thyme and sage. But look, you can use dried herbs. I just have them in the garden at the moment, so I might as well use them. And now smell that now. Isn't that gorgeous? Oh. The onion and the herbs and the garlic. Isn't that a good it's scent? Outstanding. It just smells like autumn or winter to yeah. me. You know, those that particular blend of herbs. And into that then, I have actually some lentils, some brown lentils. Optional. You can just use mixed beans if you want, or cannellini beans, chickpeas, whatever. I have mixed beans here as well. I have a little tin of tomatoes. Just going to mix all of those around. A little bit of chicken stock. I'm just going to swill out my tin of tomatoes just to make sure I get all that tomato out. Waste not, what not. Exactly. I'm going to add my sausages back in now. And pop the lid on that and we'll come back to it after the roast pork has come out of the oven. I'm going to leave that on the hob there. Yeah, now I could put it into the oven. My oven's just busy at the moment. Whatever's handiest for you. So either simmer it on the hob on a relatively low simmer for 20 minutes to half an hour just to let those flavours enrich and reduce or pop it into the oven for half an hour to 45 minutes at 180. Colin Mary, thank you for taking along your beautiful pork and byproducts to the cookery school here East Coast this afternoon. Tell us about the rationale behind olive pork. It, it started a number of years ago, Jerry, just trying to really understand what um, people are looking for. And a lot of people have been moving away from pork and you often don't see it in a lot of uh, main courses in hotels and restaurants. So um, I, I guess I was looking at that and thinking, why is this happening? And it was often because... Um, uh, people don't want to eat the fat and then if there's no fat the animal is, is often leaner and that takes away the flavor so i was trying to look out for things that were uh, would help me improve the meat quality that i was producing and um so that was one point and then it just happened that somebody that i, I work with um asked me would i want to try this product to feed to the pigs it's an olive product it's the by- byproduct of olive oil production in greece and it's full of polyphenols and he was thinking that it would be good for the health of the pigs so we tried that and really the pigs are kind of healthy enough and it didn't actually improve their health too much but he said try and see what the meat tastes like so I um, tasted the pork myself and I thought this was dramatically different really juicy compared to normal um, pork that I had been used to so I decided to call it olive pork uh, there and then basically and that's about a year and a half ago and I've been trying to sort of bring it forward and uh, sell it through local butchers and, and restaurants and hotels let's head back to Tara and see what's happening in the kitchen it's the good old pork chop rescue us save us cook it for us that we'll enjoy it that it's moist and tender so i have my griddle pan on really hot here like really i can barely keep my hand over the surface of it about an inch from the surface for more than 10 seconds and have you anything on that chop what i've done is i've just brushed it very lightly with a little bit of rapeseed oil very lightly only the meaty part not the the fat and a tiny bit of salt and pepper on and can you hear that i'm actually getting a tan It's really hot. I'm actually sweating. I have so many dishes on the go here. What I'm going to do is just cook that on both sides and really importantly, let it rest. How long are you going to give that pork chop on the pan? A couple of minutes on each side. And then rest it? Yes, absolutely. Because a little bit of the residual heat will keep cooking it through. And also, I don't want it underdone or anything like that. But, you know, a lot of people overcook pork and that's why it's so dry. I just really want to make sure that any part of this piece of meat that has been exposed to the air gets exposed to the really hot pan which would kill off any bacteria of course um, there's no need to be afraid of this but just generally speaking when you're cooking meat the whole thing is anything that's been exposed to air make sure that gets a really high temperature at the center of this pork even if it's not totally totally white through it'll be fine because nothing can grow in the center because there's no air we've talked about this in relation to steaks and things before 
So I'm just going to turn it onto each side, all around the fat, all around each end of it, and make sure the heat just touches off it for 10, 20 seconds. And then I know it's totally safe to eat, even though I'm totally trusting the supplier in this case. Now, and I'm going to take it off to rest now. And look how nice and crispy it looks there. Oh, it's lovely. And you might have noticed what I did there. My griddle pan has vertical stripes. No, horizontal stripes. I always get vertical and horizontal mixed up. It has horizontal stripes. So I cooked the pork on both sides, both vertically and horizontally. So I turned it 90 degrees each time to get a nice kind of diamond pattern on it. The pork chop has had a good rest there now while we've been tasting the rest. And I'm just cutting it open at the centre. Now, can you see here? It's not pink, but it's moist at the centre, okay? So it's cooked through, but it's not overcooked. You'll be used to probably seeing, well, that sounds like you overcook your pork chops. I don't mean it that way. But a lot of times people cook it so much that it kind of looks stringy at the centre when you open it. And that is not the case here. Is that the way pork should always be cooked? Mm -hmm. It's not pink, but it's just cooked that the colour has changed Mm -hmm. and the juice is flowing. Like it's only just kind of turning from pink to white there, you know. And I just think it keeps it so juicy. And of Mm. course, the resting time is so important as well. Colin, you must be delighted with that because it's come out perfectly there hasn't it i'm uh, very happy with very sort of representative of what i think the pork is about and uh yeah it's 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 amazing it's uh like i said like tara said it's just quite tender and mm. and juicy so when you when you when you're chewing on it it just releases that that extra flavor mm. so juicy but so flavorful as well here we are at last the yes. fillet so I have the fillet out. I've actually had it out a good while out of the oven. I know people worry that it'll be cold or something, but actually it's still fairly warm. And obviously my sauce is going to be warm as well. So any little juices you get from the pork fillet, keep them and scrape it all into your nice sauce. So the sauce is well reduced. It's more of a jus, as you can see, than a mm. sauce, which I like. And then I have, this is a lovely little thing. I usually use red currant jelly, but I picked up this beautiful meadow sweet pot from wild irish uh, foragers uh, a little while ago i think they're based down in tipperary hope i haven't got that wrong and i'm going to pop that into my sauce my jus just to give a little sweetness so obviously with pork a a bit of sweetness is classic you know kind of combination once that's done i'm just going to taste for seasoning now so it has been reducing and reducing and reducing as you can see let me have a taste very happy with that sauce so i'm going to plate up by popping a few green beans onto my plate then I'm going to slice up my pork relatively thinly need a good sharp knife for this job little noisettes I suppose and you can see again a slight ever so slight pinkness to the center of the pork fillet but it is cooked through and then I'm just going to add some of my nice jus around the side and we'll garnish with a little bit of sage and rosemary because that's what we have in it do you know what it's like Michelin star (laughs) well this is a dish we do do this dish in our classes in our Italian class so it's kind of a tried and tested and I think it's lovely obviously it's a lovely kind of Sunday roast dish but it's also a lovely dinner party dish I think there's only one thing to do after you take the photo there get stuck in Colin Mary, is that one of the nicest fillets of your pork that you've ever tasted? Absolutely, Jerry. Tara's done an amazing job. So the fillet's really tender anyway. And, and Tara's come up with a really nice recipe to add extra to uh, so many different flavours off the pork. It's beautiful. I have to say, there's you with the fillet. There's a, a Far East aspect to this. Probably the meadow sweet um, just adds another element. When I use the red currant jelly, it's got a, more of a sweetness to it. But I just think the pork itself is so tender 
And, you know, you are in danger of having a, particularly with a fillet like that, of having a sort of dry piece of meat. Whereas when you rest it, like it's been resting for a good 15, 20 minutes while we've been tasting everything else. And I think that's key as well. It's beautiful. And let me add, the beans are gorgeous and the, the little touch of lemon with them as well. They're a lovely foil. Yeah, nice freshness. Because obviously mm. it's kind of a rich dish mm. otherwise. So that just kind of cuts through. Oh, I don't want to leave East Coast Cookery School today. Colin Murray has brought us his beautiful olive pork products from Perma Pigs. Yes, he's out on the Slane Drogheda Road, not far from the landmark. Dolly Mitchell's there. And today has just been a real eye-opener for us. So we finished our today with tasting. Yeah, so we're just going to have our little sausage and bean stew now. So it's a nice kind of slow-cook, wintry dish. Let's have a taste. Colin, come on here. Tuck into your own there. Tell me what you think of that. Colin, that's just... And I know you're tasting there. I'll give you a minute. That is your plain pork sausage. That's right, Jerry. Plain pork sausage in the casserole. Yeah. Oh, it's so. beautiful. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah, there's so much there's combination of stuff going on there, but it's um, hard to put your finger on it. But it's just, yeah, we'll keep eating here. <laughs> <laughs> we will keep eating here. It's hard to talk. Tara, you must be delighted with that yourself. Yeah, I think that's a lovely dish. I mean, the sausages are absolutely delicious again. Like when you're working with such good produce your job as a chef or a cook is easy, you know. Mm. But I actually think this is a lovely kind of winter warmer. You can make a huge batch of it, as we have here. And, you know, you can have it for leftovers the next day or lunches or whatever. But I think it's a very simple but hearty dish, yeah. It certainly is. Colin Mary, thank you so much as we finish up for joining us here in East Coast Cookery School today. And if people want to buy our produce, what's the easiest way to go get it? Uh, the easiest way is uh, to contact your local butcher. Uh, most of the local butchers know me and, and will order it in if they don't already have it. So, But um, Chutes and, and Callahan's butchers that people would know, Garrett's family butchers in, in the, sort of around the Drawhead area, uh, King's Grill and Stockwell Street often have it on the menu. So keep an eye out for it and if they don't have it, just, just ask them. Ask and you will receive. Well done to you and thanks again for joining us in East Coast Cookery School today. And Tara, as usual, to Patricia and yourself, thanks a million and the recipes available on eastcoastcookeryschool.ie. See you next time. Great to see you as always, Jerry. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. You don't have to break the bank to buy quality. The Renault Selection used car event is on from the 1st until the 5th of October with special APR offers, two years warranty and two years roadside assistance on all quality used cars. T's and C's apply. Now, it's something we should do every single day. Well, in fact, twice a day. And I hope most of you are. What am I talking about? Brushing our teeth teeth and it's important that your toothbrush does what it should do and that you brush properly but you know something the toothbrush look at it pick it up have a gawk at it this afternoon or this evening when you're brushing your teeth or in the morning it's made of plastic isn't it and everything in it is plastic based and what does that mean in today's world it means that it'll go into a landfill and can last there for five hundred years. So with the focus on environmental matters, it's great to hear that a local lady and her partner have come up with an eco-friendly toothbrush. It's called Bambooth and its inventor is on the line with me. Neve McGill, welcome to Late Lunch. Thank you so much. Well, 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 I'm intrigued by this because... You know, we just take the toothbrush, Neve. you know yourself for yep. granted. Where yep. did this concept of yours come from for an eco-friendly toothbrush? 
Well, it all started actually when I was in China in 2017 and I was in a gift shop with my friend who pointed out a bamboo toothbrush and at the time she told me that our toothbrushes never biodegrade and that they last forever and I was really struck by that, that I, that I never knew that and that it was one of the worst polluters. So then in January 2018, um, there was a big kind of awareness campaign around the environment. Um, we looked at Sky News' Dirty Secret, BBC documentary, Drowning in Plastic, and of course, Blue Planet. So the environment was very much at the forefront of our minds. And there's only two of us living together. And I became aware of just how much we were recycling. And our recycling bin was overflowing every three days. And we, you know, eat out a lot and... Basically, one day when I was brushing my teeth, um, I had the realisation that if I was brushing my teeth with a toothbrush that functioned as well, but if the handle I was changing would biodegrade, why wouldn't I change over to that toothbrush? And Joe at the time, was um, he's a woodworking hobbyist and he was doing a project at home. And when he came home that evening, I chatted to him and he actually hand-carved the first bamboo prototype there and then and we started our journey. And Joe Finnegan, of course, is your partner that you're talking about he there. Is, yeah. My, my, you're a very productive couple, may I say, and <laughs> very thoughtful as well. So one prototype produced, but of course yeah. from there to uh, make something that's uh, commercial and that you can uh, sell widely uh, across the planet is another scale yeah. and step entirely. What happened from there? So basically, um, from our prototype, um, we reached out kind of to, to some companies to kind of help us develop our concept. And we really sat down and have put a huge amount of work into this kind of nightly in terms of what we wanted. And really what we were aiming for is a toothbrush that functions the exact same, that you wouldn't compromise on the quality of the clean of your teeth, that it looked good. But of course, that the handle would biodegrade in, in six months versus the 500 years, as you previously outlined. So so it's been kind of 18 months in the making, but we launched there just before the summer. And, and we're really hoping to convince people that, you, you know, by changing the handle, you can change the world. So the handle is one thing. What about yeah. the brush, the head of the brush itself? Yeah. How, how does that fit with the handle? So basically, the head of the brush is made of, of nylon bristles, the same as a regular toothbrush, um, which you can recycle with your, your plastic recycling. So at the end of the toothbrush's life, um, you can take the head off it, snap the head off it, um, and just put it into your plastic recycling and recycle the bristles as plastic. And then the, the, the handle of the brush can go into your compost bin. How long would you get out of this type of brush? So the same as a regular type of toothbrush, um, it's recommended that you change your toothbrush every two to three months. Um, it would last longer, but it's, you know, it's the bristles of all toothbrushes that after time when you're brushing, you know, become less effective. So, you know, in keeping with dental recommendations, um, we kind of advise that you change the toothbrush every two to three months. Where are these brushes, Bamboo is the name, available? How can we look at them, see them, buy them and try them? Yes, so basically we're selling through our website at the moment, um, bamboost.com, and you can get them. We'd be delighted to post them to people. Um, and we're also on, in, on sale in a few shops in Dublin and Cork, and we are hoping to be on sale in Centra and um, in Drogheda in the next few weeks. So we're kind of making an effort now, and we're in discussion with various shops. This is new for you guys, because you yeah. mentioned a moment ago what Joe does and his hobby as well, but you're a vet by trade. I'm a vet, yeah. I've been a vet for the last 12 years, and at the moment I'm actually doing a Master's in Conservation, um, so it's an area I definitely want to go into. Um, and we are partnered now with four conservation projects um, that basically the colour of the brush you buy corresponds to a, um, a conservation effort, all aimed at habitat 
protection. So that 10 cent per brush is going to those. So you have that in mind as well. It's another aspect to this. Now, you're based in London. I know both of you at the moment. But but there's talk that you are returning home in the future. Yeah, looking forward to it. Our plan is to move home, you know, by the middle of next year. So we'll be looking forward to that. The manufacture of these brushes to scale them up, you know, demand is going to, I'm sure, take off of this because I've never heard of this before. That's one thing I wanted to ask you. I know you saw it in the Far East, but are you pretty unique in in Europe and this uh, neck of the woods? Yeah, I mean, there are um, plastic or other bamboo toothbrushes available and and you will see other brands if you go looking. But I think the main thing is um, where we go looking for our toothbrushes, there isn't a sustainable alternative. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make these available in places where people would buy um, their toothbrushes as opposed to kind of having to go looking kind of in faraway places. Um, So really that is our aim. Our aim is to put a sustainable toothbrush beside a plastic one and, and ask people to kind of think about their choice then. Who's making them for you? Just to come back to that point again. So basically, we're we're getting them manufactured um, through a kind of sustainable source in China because the majority of the bamboo um, sustainably managed plantations are over in China. Um, so we've got a kind of a, a guy on the ground over there, a kind of a UK company on the ground over there, um, who you know control their manufacture and and then we're bringing them over there from here. How much will one cost me, or can I buy a multiple pack? You can buy a multiple pack. So basically, we're we're selling them for five ninety five for a single brush, and it comes in its own handy travel tube, meaning that you can take it out and about with you easily. And then a year's supply of brushes, which is four brushes, is nineteen ninety nine. And you know the way you can buy different. Um softness or yeah. harshness of brush at the moment in the commercial brushes. Yeah. Are you into that? Yeah, so basically at the moment we're selling medium heads, but um, by late November we will have a soft version of the brush as well as a kid's brush, which we're calling a Bambino, which will be available in Ultra Soft. I love it. It's a great name. <laughs> very You're very cute. clever with the names, I have to say. Yeah. But, but, but here's the thing, you know, with your day jobs and what you're pursuing at the moment, yeah. has this opened up a potential whole new aspect to work for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the moment we're doing it in the evenings, you know, and at the weekends, and we're pretty much non-stop outside our normal jobs. Um, I guess ultimately, as I said, um, we are hoping to kind of move into it and and try and kind of drive change and, and make it easy for people to make sustainable choices. So I suppose as time goes on, um, depending on our growth, um, we will kind of be working more and more with Bamboot. Customers, what's been the feedback from people who have bought them? Yeah, fantastic. And um, we call our customers our ambassadors, um, and they've been brilliant. They've been really, really good. The feedback's been great. Um, you know, people have been delighted with the brush. They're taking it with them. They're photographing it when they go away on holidays. Um, you know, so the, the feedback's been really, really, really positive. I wish you well, Neve McGill, and I mentioned Joe Finnegan as well, of course, your partner, with the new toothbrush. It's called Bambooth. And remind us again where we can look it up. Bambooth.com. Thank you, Neve. Have a nice weekend. Thank you so much. Friday afternoon late lunch and we're finishing off the show today with Leon Blanche, communications manager with Boyle Sports, looking ahead to the big sporting tussles of the weekend. And we're starting today Leon, with the League of Ireland. A lap of honour for Dundalk. It is a lap of honour but um, certainly Jerry, there's plenty on the line for Derry City and they're trying to obviously qualify for European football which would be a massive boost uh, for the club for Derry and for all of those loyal supporters. And Dundalk yes, the league is over. Um, I think from 
the management's perspective, they'll be hoping between now and obviously the 3rd of November against Shamrock Rovers going for that historic treble, that they don't get any injuries. But it is an opportunity for some players to try and stake their claim and put it up to the manager and try and give him a couple of dilemmas ahead of that big game against Shamrock Rovers. But it's not often you see Dundalk at even money at home. And they are tonight. Derry are 12-5. to And the draw here is 11-4. to As I said, I think Derry, there's certainly a lot more riding in this game for them than there is Dundalk. It's a tricky one to call, Jerry. So maybe just sit on the fence and go for a draw. Let's take a look, Leon, at the big game in the Premier League this weekend. It's at Anfield. Liverpool up against inform Leicester City. And Leicester are certainly showing ambitions of a top four finish this year. They certainly are. And I think um, Brendan Rodgers deserves an awful lot of credit. Um, he left Celtic towards the back end of last season. Many people who follow Celtic would have been annoyed at that decision. But I think he's been proved right in terms of going in and having a look at the Leicester squad seeing who we wanted to keep, seeing who we wanted to bring in. And they're sitting in third place in the table, so they've had a very good start. And, of course, he is a former Liverpool manager. He came very close to winning the league himself uh, when he was in the hot seat at Anfield. And this is his first occasion back to Anfield as a manager. So I'm sure he'll get a warm reception. And in this corresponding fixture last season, Leicester thoroughly deserved the victory. Liverpool got away with it. It was a draw. They got a share of the spoils. And the way Liverpool defended... In the Champions League on Wednesday night, they certainly wouldn't want to do that against Leicester because they're one of the best counter-attacking teams in the Premier League. They've got power and pace and they've got a man, Jamie Vardy, who loves scoring against Liverpool. But Liverpool, they're 7 from 7. They're bidding to make it 8 from 8. They're 9 to 4 on favourites. Leicester are 6 to 1 and the draw just under 4 to 1 at 15 to 4. I think this will be a great game of football. I think both teams will score, but I think Liverpool should just about have enough to come out on top. Let's finish up today with horse racing and the pre-lock, the triumph is on Sunday and history beckons. Enable going for three in a row, but can she do it, Liam? Look, I think she's probably one of the greatest racehorses of all time. Win, lose on Sunday in Paris at Longchamp. She's won the last two. She's bidding for history, as you rightly say. I think it's a pretty small field. There's only 12 She's got an, a draw of nine. She's surrounded by two Ballydoyle horses in, in number eight and number 10, and that is Japan and Magical. But I just think Enable, she's just a superstar, Jerry. She just seems to do everything at her ease. She's got the right man training her. She's got the best man on board in Frankie Dettori. She's faced Magical four times this season. She's come out on top in every one of them. Japan is the improving three-year-old, it has to be said. Ryan Moore is on Japan. He was very impressive winning the international at York. From the French contingent, Sotsas at 7-1 to one, and Walgeist are the two French challengers. A horse I probably would have given a chance, and I still think this horse can finish in the first three, is the Godolphin runner, Gayat. However, he's a front runner and he's drawn 12. So he's going to have to get out and get to the front quite early. But I hope for racing. I hope for sport. I hope enable. She's six to four on favours. But wouldn't it be fantastic to witness history? And I think she's good enough to do it. So here's hoping Frankie, John Gosden and enable can all create a bit of history in Paris at five past three on Sunday afternoon. I say here, here to that, Leon, for sure. Thank you so much for joining us on the show again today. We'll speak next Friday. 
All the best, Jerry. That's our lot on Late Lunch for this week. A big thank you to my producer, Louise Walsh, to our guests throughout the week, and to you, our listeners, who tune in every day to the show. Have a lovely weekend. Come back on Monday at half one and join us for a brand new week of Late Lunch. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. You don't have to break the bank to buy quality. The Renault Selection used car event is on from the 1st until the 5th of October with special APR offers, two years warranty and two years roadside assistance on all quality used cars. T's and C's apply. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.